Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on how Regeneron got an FDA-approved therapy for COVID in record time and some of the lessons learned. This is from the 2022 DFARM Conference. For more information about the DFARM Conference, our editorial podcasts and webinars, please visit dfarmconference.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. I am so uh, pleased to get to share this, uh, this warm fire with an old friend, Barry mm-hmm. Cowell, Senior Vice President and Head of Development Operations and Portfolio Management at Regeneron. Welcome, Barry. Hi, Craig. Thanks. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. I, you know, I think um, it was mentioned that unpredictability. I think that's been a, 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 a term used pretty widely throughout the pandemic. And, and I think even the, the, the management of this meeting was somewhat unpredictable, but I'm thrilled to be here to talk about our experience, how we got here, and what I hope will stick going forward. Fabulous setup here, Barry. And let's let's jump right in. Um, sure. You know, uh, you know, Barry. I'm I'm thinking in my mind back to last spring. Um, you're you're leading already a complex organization with a portfolio of medicines. Um, we many of us then start to follow in the headlines about this emerging um, medical issue, which turned into a global pandemic, which turned into this amazing call to action for the biopharmaceutical industry. What was that moment that you realized that you were going to have to operate very differently in your organization, both because of the, the circumstances and because of some of the assets in your portfolio? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, I, it wasn't March of last year, interestingly for us. The moment that we realized it, I think we had come back from Christmas break or holiday break, whatever anyone celebrates um, during the December timeframe. And when we all got back to work in January, we had been hearing about some of the outbreaks of coronavirus in other countries. And given a, a, that we are a global organization and we run our trials globally, we started to think about the impacts. We started to think about what would that mean at Regeneron? But we also put together an impact assessment team. And that team was charged with looking at our portfolio, looking at our drug depots, looking at the way that we do our work and really assessing how that could be impacted if this pandemic started to um, become a wider and a more widespread uh, epidemic as it has has shown to be throughout the the course of the globe. And and one of the things that I think was really important about this was that that preparation was instrumental in ensuring that two things. One, we were able and ready to to actually create and and develop a multi-pronged approach to a, a treatment for COVID. But in addition, it also prepared us to manage the rest of our portfolio. It enabled us to ensure, you know, in some cases, as an example, we had patients who were on trials that did self-administration of drug. We were able to come up with a process to actually provide direct-to-patient shipping. We put in place and and shipped extra drug to our depots so that as the pandemic moved on, that we could could actually have things um, in place to essentially prepare us for the worst. And ultimately, I think, you know, some of the worst came. We, we, we didn't really understand what was to come, but we prepared for it. And I think that was the point at which we really understood we needed to do some things differently. 
But it really wasn't until March that uh, we actually sat down and looked at what had already been a pandemic throughout the world coming to the United States as well, uh, where many of our research and discovery um, colleagues sit. And we, we thought about how do we utilize the technology that we have, the opportunity to, to develop potential treatments for COVID, and even our pipeline that existed today and what, if anything, might be useful in sort of the, the armamentarium of, of potential drugs that could treat individuals with COVID, uh, either those that were hospitalized or those that were, uh, you know, were, were those that were outpatient or, or even as a preventative. And that's some of that thinking happened really early in uh, 2020. And you know, it was really just the, the the preparation to get us there that I think enabled us to react quickly. For our audience here, first of all, thank you for choosing track number one. Clearly, as you can tell from just listening to Barry for a moment, you made the right choice. If you're joining us live here at DFARM, uh, we're live too. So use the chat, drop your questions in for Barry. And if this is pre-recorded for you, uh, viewing at a later date, um, well, you'll just have to hope someone else stepped forward to ask that question on your mind. Barry, the question on my mind, though, is as you were describing this, you are managing not only maintaining and the continuity of your existing portfolio, which so many development leaders had to make happen by that spring timeframe, but also fitting into your organization, this other high profile, high priority uh, development program. Now, it's one thing for a Pfizer, a Janssen and AstraZeneca to manage that with the resources that they have, but Regeneron is an impressive company, but still not at the scale of, of some of those organizations. What challenges, does, what challenges did you have to overcome to make all of that work in your organization and to, to balance all these different priorities? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I, I've been asked that a lot in terms of how did we, how did we react quickly? What, what, what made us uh, capable at our size and scale to be able to, to move this quickly? And you know, my answer has always been relatively the same. Uh, we are a nimble organization. We are lean purposefully. And while you know, I could say that uh, we, we were able to do everything, that's obviously not the case. We did have to look at how we operated and operate differently. And that's really part of our ethos. We're a, we're a science-driven company. We are a we're all in it together type of uh, culture. And, and I think that served us well in, in the COVID atmosphere. We, you know, we actually like ambiguity. And so a challenge like this is something that, that you know, while I don't know any of us were expecting or, or really wanting to occur, was something that we react really well to and successfully to. And so when it came time to look at how do we operationalize this and how do we ensure that we maintain our portfolio. We we do some of the largest COVID trials um, in in terms of monoclonal antibodies that are out there. We we really looked at you know we reallocated a lot of resource and we asked people to step up and actually, of course, and and not just within Regeneron, everyone stepped up. Whether it was the regulatory agencies or the federal agencies or our sites, our patients, the physicians we work with. I, I, it's it's not it, it wasn't just done by Regeneron. I think everyone across the globe had this incredible resilience, 
And it, it was something that, that we foster in our own company with regard to being able to take something like this and, and, and work differently than we ever had to, work smarter than we ever had to, but we had a huge reliance on sort of the goodwill and and the you know passion that that you know people around the globe and our our partners at our companies also had, and we were all cheering each other on. That you know, knowing that we needed a treatment, knowing that there was there was a light at the end of the tunnel, if we were to you know be successful, I think that's part of what uh, you know our makeup. Of a, as a company is that you know we we can operate pretty nimbly. It's it wasn't a change for us to react to something and and all get in a room together to make it happen. So what does a nimble culture start to feel like in terms of um, behaviors? Uh, is is decision making highly distributed? Do you try? Is is this a story about minimizing governance and bureaucracy for a lot of your individual teams? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think we we struggle with that often. I think there's a there's a balance. You need to have governance. You need to have decision makers. You need to have some clarity there. But we are a culture that does believe that you know more than one of us is smarter than just the one. And so, in putting our heads together and and working as a team, uh, you know, very much so with science first. But then, you know, as important are are you know are are colleagues who who you know work with us from an operations perspective on logistics in our manufacturing group all of that has to come together and i think that's part of what makes the way we work special that uh, while we do have governance and while we ensure we have you know hopefully minimal bureaucracy there that always has to exist you can't get around that but i think we've uh you know found a way to um to 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 do it in in a uh, you know an environment that really works on collaboration and and that's kind of the the standard for uh, you know how we all show up every day with all of this urgency and mobilization of your internal resources did you find that you had to um, onboard and find other types of vendors, partners in technology to make this happen from a support perspective? Or were you able to stretch and extend a lot of your existing partner network to avoid a lot of the additional work that comes with bringing on new? Yeah, we did both, actually, Craig, because I think the whole industry was looking at who do, how can we partner? How do we all have enough resources to, to tackle something different? And to enable, you know, a whole host of trials and and new ways of working that that were different than anything we might have done. I, I would say that in you know the first trials that we ran in COVID, uh, they were in multiple settings. So hospitals, hospitalized patients, uh, outpatients, and in healthy healthy individuals. And so a different approach needed to be taken. And I would say, you know, in this era of technology and doing things differently and decentralized trials, we had to incorporate all of that. And some of it at Regeneron, we had been done, we had done before or piloted, but to do everything in one trial was not something standard for us. So employing telemedicine, home health, bring your own device, uh, home nursing, e-consent, you know, you name it. We, we did every piece of that. And some of that required new vendors. Um, I, I would, you know, we tried to look at a, a streamlined way to do it so that all of that could be in one place. But we found that cobbling together, and I really say cobbling because it was 
it was a it was an art more than a science in getting this done. We did successfully um, bring on board a, a host of new vendors while relying on some of our partners that we rely on pretty consistently. And so, you know, the the, the, the statement it takes a village. This took a village. It took a whole new way of doing things. It took our partners to help us create, as well as the rest of the industry, ways of doing things remotely that we may have not have had a comfort level, and doing it with, you know, both scientific rigor and and integrity to the to the work that we do. All of that, you know, without dropping the ball in a pandemic was, you know, something a, a feat by by many many people. It's amazing. It's 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 inspirational, really, how the clinical research community really stepped up to this challenge to not only sustain our portfolios of medicines that were critical in other therapeutic areas around the world, and to add this capacity to meet this uh, this global need. Uh, but as you mentioned last year with all that urgency was a year of cobbling together different solutions. Um, I have to imagine as we're um, now in 2022 and you're thinking about go forward operating models, you, your, your organization is thinking about sustainability. Uh, how are you deciding what sticks? What are those changes to make persistent going forward and which really should just be incremental changes that we, uh, we incorporated because we had to? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and you know, very often I think companies and groups do lessons learned. And, and sometimes it takes a while to actually put that together. But we thought we didn't want to lose not a moment of, you know, our, our thinking and response to, to time. And so even in the midst of doing all this, we've, we've taken time to do lessons learned so that we actually think about uh, pretty aggressively what should stick. And, and how do we not lose the, the momentum? And I think actually that that's a kind of call to action for the whole industry. I think we are empowered as a, as a development group and, and, a, and an environment and an industry to really relook at how do we do things? And are there some things that we've done that you know, will all should and will and, and have the potential to alter how quickly we get drugs to patients? I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's why we're all here. But we want to do it right, and we want to do it in a way that uh, you know we can believe the information, and we can you know have good testing and and do it robustly. But I, we are thinking about a lot about, and I mentioned lessons learned. You know, how do you decide what sticks? And I can tell you, there's plenty of things that I I know I've turned around and said, let's never do that again. Let's not you know let's think about what we had to do in the moment, and 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 try to avoid getting to that place again. But most of the challenges that we met, we, we really thought uh, you know, long and hard about how do we employ some of the structure we set up to act in Emily? How do we utilize you know, this reallocation of resources um, in a different way? We've actually created rotations for people. I pulled people from parts of the organization that had never done uh, clinical trials, but they had operational experience. So they had logistics experience. And so we thought about, well, how do we, how do we get people more engaged in, and at Regeneron, you know, because we're lean, we don't have a whole host of rotations, but that's one of the things that we thought about so that you can bring people from across the business to have a better understanding of different parts of the business. We've also looked at what are the platforms from a technology standpoint that really enabled the trials. And there are some that help 
and that we can use on certain trials and there are others, like bring your own device that we're doing it on almost every trial now. It worked well. It, you know, this, the, the way that we were, we were able to work with the patients to get the information, to test compliance was, was pretty significant. Now, it wasn't uh, 100% at the start, and it took us, you know, a, a a partway through a trial to realize some of the kinks, but those are the things that we've worked out that I think uh, will set us up for the future. So what do you feel are, are the, the top two or three changes coming out of the pandemic that, that you are most excited about, you, Barry? Yeah, you know, uh, I think ability to actually work in a virtual environment while, you know, Regeneron is actually a face-to-face culture. We do believe that, you know, there's a necessity on occasion and, and, and often to, to sit with people and to engage. But we weren't a company who, uh, you know, re- readily embraced the ability to be virtual. And the fact that you and I are sitting on a panel uh, using a computer, you know, that that we haven't done before. And I do think, you know, it it enables the global environment to be working differently. It it you know where where we I think always felt like you had to travel to go somewhere to 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 give a presentation or or to be present. Uh, you know, wasn't. 100% the, the reality. I think we've created this uh, virtual environment. We have to see how it works. I don't know that any of us think this is the standard go forward, but I do think that it'll better enable my global team to, to interact more and, and to realize you know, some, of the, some of the benefits of the virtual environment while maintaining some of that face-to-face culture. So that's one piece. Um, but I have to say, I mean, innovation, has been something that you know we all talk about a lot, and I think this conference is you know focused on in 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 a in a broad way. And I think this the thing that excites me most is how and and if there's if there's any silver lining to the pandemic, it's the fact that I think it has opened the door to to being more innovative, to question the way that we did things and whether some of what we were required to do was actually necessary, and actually added value. So I think those that ability to just question what we've done, uh, you know, both in the scope of how we do trials differently, but also in the regulations, are things that I think will will help us to change the industry. Great answer. It's a great answer, um, Barry, because it would be very easy to slip into saying I'm most excited about risk-based monitoring and use of video, but in truth. If there's something to come out of this that's a silver lining, if there's something, I have to hope that it's an ability to embrace new solutions that are appropriate in our organizations without needing a global crisis to make that happen. I don't want to have to wait for the next global pandemic to see the next spike in adoption of these approaches. And to your point, if we can sustain a mindset of receptivity. Um, That may be the greatest win that we can get um, for whatever that next new innovation may be. Now, our audience is great. There are some fabulous questions that have been coming in on the chat. Please keep yours coming. One that's very related to what you were just sharing, Barry, is around the impact of these changes on our study budgets. There are a lot of awesome new solutions, but a lot of them are additive. And while they may have a longer term impact on recruitment or retention, um, 
that is uh, an indirect savings or a, a longer term savings for us. How are you um, seeing the impact on study budgets? And um, is, is Regeneron being more uh, accommodating of some increased budget needs from your study teams? Yeah, so it's a really, really good question because, you know, one of the things we did see, as a matter of fact, was, you know, an increase. You know, I'll, I'll give you a case in point, um, home nursing, while it decreases the, the amount of visits to an office, there's an enormous expense to, to both managing and, and paying for, um, you know, that level of expertise and, and having people go out and in various areas um, on a, you know, short notice, especially, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and, and those types of things. And I think all of the things that I mentioned that we employed certainly had a cost to them. Uh, I think the, 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 the question around is Regeneron, you know, uh, aligning to higher budgets? No, I don't think, <laughs> I think the answer of any company would be, no, I don't think anyone likes the idea that there are higher budgets, that it's gonna cost more to do research. I think it puts a strain on, on the whole environment. I think it's, it's costly to do work to begin with and to add more costs and not streamline how we do this uh, would be really unfortunate. But I think what we have learned, and, and I'm always willing to take, and I think this is the, the approach for Regeneron, is that I'm willing to pilot things, I'm willing to test them, to see how well they work, to see that how they fit in, to look at the return on investment, so to say. So if I do employ some of these technologies or, or services, what does that mean at the end of the day? And you're right, you mentioned a couple of things. Can I reduce enroll, you know, enrollment time? There's opportunity cost if it takes me three months to do a trial or two years. I have to factor that in. And so some of the things that we're doing is really, you know, spending time on, there are some quick wins and we can always employ some of these things that, that will have an immediate return on investment. But longer term is working with partners and outsourced vendors to say, look, this worked really well, but it, it, we incurred an enormous cost. How do we work with you? to bring this cost to something more reasonable so that we can have a return on investment. And you know, for the companies that are out there to, who, who are trying to build up these services, I think there's tremendous opportunity. We just have to get to a place where some of it's more automated, some of it is better managed, and some of it fits into trials in a way that, that makes you know, it more fit for purpose. So I, I don't think we're there yet. We will see increased budgets early on for some of these things, but I think the opportunity there is to, to streamline it and work together to manage that. Barry, not surprisingly, a lot of the questions from the DFARM community are less about your tactics here and, and a lot of them coming in around organization and culture. I think that a lot of our community appreciates that that's very often the Ray limiter and where so many struggle. Um, so one, one theme for some of the questions is around um, what, what do you feel is a barrier or what things are missing to make some of these changes more sustainable? Or even in particular, was there any object that you needed to move out of the way for your organization to be able to operate as they did over the past year? It's a really good question. Um, you know, I wouldn't say there's any one obstacle that I could say there was one. There were many. Um, you know, there were there were a lot of um, it, I wouldn't say naysayers, but but you know, ways in which that the the organization normally uh, you know created or developed their process uh, that that we had to circumvent, and and whereby you know 
taking our process through, you know, five steps, we had to shorten it to three or two. Um, but what I think happened in doing that was a greater sense of collaboration across the company. Because I know, you know, very often, and I think every company experiences this, your individual groups can be very aligned on what the mission is and how to get there. But when you're talking about, you know, working with groups like at Regeneron, we have a genetic center and, uh, and our commercial groups, my group doesn't day to day work with all of those groups. But when COVID came, we had our colleagues from the genetic center who had uh, affiliations with insurance companies, our commercial colleagues who had affiliations with pharmacies that we called on to find out who the right, you know, potential companies were to partner with on finding patients, on finding centers, that on getting information and real world evidence. Um, we partnered really closely with, uh, you know, groups like Columbia University. We really put our uh, thought into how do we accomplish, because our studies are, are, I wouldn't say they're not as simple as, no study is simple. But the vaccine studies, uh, you know, I think are simpler than monoclonal antibody studies in, in the fact that ours require infusions, ours require um, longer term virology testing. And so we had to really think about how do you carry out trials like that in a way that, uh, you know, can't, patients can accommodate. And what I think we had done was really, you know, utilize data actually to, to figure out an epidemiological data when I was talking about Columbia to really pinpoint where the patients were today and where they're going to be. And so it's, it all comes together and those affiliations were a collaborative effort. So when it was, came to moving obstacles, it was more about how do we partner and understand our opportunity than looking for ways to, to you know, just circumvent the process. Mary, another question from the audience um, points to the fact that uh, we can't run our engines at operation warp speed indefinitely. Uh, things burn out. And so as you think about sustaining this culture going forward, what are some of the techniques or strategies you're looking to employ to keep your teams and your colleagues with this same mindset and focus going forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and I do think there, there have been times throughout the pandemic where I had to move certain people on the team to back to the business, I called it, because we did pull many people from areas of the business uh, because they needed a break. This was, you know, it is draining. And, and ultimately, um, our ability to continue at pandemic speed was, you know, it, it isn't sustainable. And we recognize that. And that's where I think the, the ability to take away the lessons learned and realize what, what, what do we never do again? What do we do consistently? And how do we really capitalize on what we learned has become really important. What we talked about earlier uh, with regard to ensuring we you know, take this opportunity, it's kind of in the moment at this point that we, we've looked at, you know, how do we ensure we, as a, especially as a lean organization, we're not taking a toll on individuals and that, you know, we, we spent a lot of time this year trying to ensure that people took time off, you know, really tended to not the just the business, but to themselves. People are really only productive when they have that time off. And so we spent a lot of time focused on that. We spent a lot of time focused on over the past year and a half, how to create some level of normalcy in a virtual environment. And 
you know, I think we're, we're looking forward to getting back in an office and, and engaging, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think the, uh, the fact that we treated hundreds of thousands and, and millions actually of patients and, and people survived because of the work that was done is incredibly uplifting for the whole organization. And I think for the, the whole industry to look back at, you know, what as an industry we've done and how quickly we responded and how fast we were able to come up with um, treatments to something, you know, so impactful to our day-to-day -day lives. I, I think people still, it's still a, a relative high that we can, you know, we, we can use as, as something to remind us of what's good in the world. In our final uh, moment together, um, D-Farm is a community of, of leaders and individuals as well as teams. Uh, just reflecting back on the last year, how has this changed you, your thinking, your leadership style? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've changed my leadership style. Um, I think that wouldn't be true to me. But I, but I do, but I have spent a lot of time this year uh, more focused on people than in the past because you know I think this this pandemic it, it it took a toll both on you know the business and on people in in very personal ways. So in terms of leadership, I think our focus this year on uh, on people and and the environment and how how to make you know make it a better workplace and and create an inclusive environment and really all of the things that you know are are always happening but sometimes in the background came to the forefront. And I think that's, you know, that I, I wouldn't, I would never say that's not something that I've always thought important, but it, 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 there's a renewed sense of really caring for the people that the people within our organization really have stepped up and, and been instrumental to making this happen. And without them, um, we, we wouldn't be here. So I think that's really where, uh, you know, my focus has been and will continue to be. Barry, on behalf of the DFARM community, on behalf of the clinical research community, my gratitude to you and your colleagues and teams at Regeneron for representing the best of what we all want to be uh, when it comes to our ability to respond to the needs of our community. Thank you for sharing here today, Barry. For more information about the DFARM conference, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit dfarmconference.com and that's dphamconference.com. Thank you and we hope you enjoyed the podcast.